The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Dr. Pringle Miller. Dr. Miller, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am ready. Let's do it. All right, perfect. Well, Dr. Miller, we would love to start every show with positive affirmations just to get our momentum going. So I would love if you could please share with us your favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Well, when I was um, thinking about that, I came up with James Baldwin's quote that has resonated with me a lot recently, which is not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And I'm working in a space right now where I think a lot of people aren't aware of some of the injustices that happen to physicians and surgeons in the healthcare workplace. Um, and so I obviously rate, relate to that quote for the, for the reason that we can't face something that we don't see. And I think that advocates like, uh, like me have to make this problem seen before we can fix it. But yeah, no, I, I was just sharing quickly. I will say when I had the opportunity to connect with you um, on LinkedIn, those were some of the aspects of, of your work and your profile specifically that stood out to me was the work that you're getting into. So um, I, I love to kind of you know turn that over into our next question where I would love if you could share with our quality, um, our, our quality people, our audience, just a quick overview of all the great things that you're doing. Um, share with us, please, you know, your current role, professional background, and definitely what led you into this career path. Sure. So my background professionally is that I um, am a surgeon. I'm a general surgeon, board certified, and more recently decided to supplement my surgical skills with hospice and palliative medicine expertise. So did a fellowship in that subspecialty of medicine. So I sort of bridged the gap between being a surgeon and a physician, but mostly grew up in a surgical environment within um, medicine as a, as a profession. Um, I've also had a very, uh, I've had a very dedicated interest in clinical medical ethics um, because I think personhood and autonomy and self-determination is so valuable just in our lives in general, but certainly as it relates to our healthcare and decisions that we make about our healthcare. So I did a fellowship in clinical medical ethics as well. 
and um, have been trying to integrate those different clinical skills into sort of one practice, which is difficult because that doesn't really exist in our current healthcare environment. Um, you know, you're usually not a surgeon who does palliative work um, or somebody who does palliative work who's also a surgeon. So it's a little bit of thinking outside of the box and trying to create a integrated specialty that doesn't exist. But through my experiences as a clinician, primarily as a, a woman of color in surgery, there's been a lot of challenges that have come to bear um, and that I've processed over the years. And as I started to network with other women of color in surgery and, and women in medicine, I realized that my experiences weren't really unique um, and that there was a bigger structural issue with respect to how vulnerable populations are treated within medicine and surgery. So that informed my current work, which is that I'm the founder and executive director of Physician Just Equity, which is a 501c3 organization that is founded to help empower and support clinicians, physicians, and surgeons in training or in practice through complex work conflicts. Conflicts that arise because of protected classes, so their characteristics, um, how they self-report, and or whether they're bringing issues of quality and injustice um, out into the open as whistleblowers. Um, and that's what I've been doing for the last year plus. Um, and it's sort of taken up more of my time and my clinical work has become sort of um, less present in my life as I support uh, clinicians who are going through conflicts. So it's not where I thought my career would end up for sure. But what I've realized more recently is that all of the skills that I've learned over the years have definitely contributed to my success in this role. And I think have um, made it possible for me to understand how to do this work. And of course, I'm still learning, but uh, I think that everything that came before definitely made a difference in terms of what I'm doing now. That's fantastic. And um, Ringo, I, I love to give you the heads up. I'm going to go off script just a little bit here because um, again, you know, that was, that's what really stood out to me when I connected and had a chance to review your profile was the work that you're doing around equity and equitable practices for medical providers. Um, just to share really quickly for myself over the last year now, I've had the opportunity to get involved with a number of projects. Um, interestingly enough, connecting quality and process improvement in healthcare with um, diversity and other equitable practices for care. And so my eyes over the last year, year and a half have really been open to many of the practices. And for me being a healthcare professional the last 15 years, just now seeing the world differently. Um, would love to just explore because I had shared with you, I had a chance to watch one of your YouTube presentations where you were sharing so many stories and so many statistics around equity um, practices and experiences that providers are having. Um, I know I'm just kind of throwing you on the spot with that, but just would love if you could share with our audience. I mean, what's the reality of, um, you know, diversity and equity from a provider's point of view? And what are just some of the realities that that people are facing, but we're maybe not all that cognizant of? Well, I really appreciate you asking the question. Um, the realities are, and, you know, I don't have um, 
the biggest scope of knowledge yet because the organization's young, but I have also to rely on, on data that's been published. But women and underrepresented folks within medicine and surgery seem to be more vulnerable as it relates to issues of harassment, discrimination, and retaliation. Um, and those behaviors that they're recipients of usually have to do with nothing related to their clinical quality. So, you know, nothing related to how they do their job in terms of outcomes, but it does have something to do with how they do their job in terms of advocating a lot of times for patients and for bringing deficiencies within structures and systems to um, leadership's attention, which seems to not always be received very well. Um, and so there's sort of a continuum between being a person in medicine who isn't part of the majority speaking out either on behalf of a patient, family member, um, themselves, a colleague, and then being punished for it. Uh, and so we're seeing a pattern of that sort of behavior such that, one, I mean, one of the bigger statistics, and this isn't all to do with um, being retaliated against, but one of the bigger statistics for women at large, which was published by the AAMC, was that 40% of women leave medicine altogether or go to part-time within six years of completing their training. And um, you know that's a very daunting figure as it relates to women. And I don't know that we have similar data for underrepresented people in medicine in terms of the attrition, but we know that there's attrition and we know that part of the attrition has to do with unfair treatment in the workplace. And we know that there's also going to be a, or a projected physician surgeon workforce shortage. So, you know, I have a passionate interest in maintaining people who have done the work, who are good at the work, who want to stay doing the work, who are not being afforded the opportunity to stay doing the work because of issues that are unethical, unprofessional, and often illegal. Fantastic. And, you know, with the video that I did, you, you also shared a statistic that healthcare is second only to the military with a lot of those behaviors, which completely, completely blew me away. Um, a number of my family members are in the service. And so I understand what that culture is like as well. But, um, you know, the, uh, again, the interest to invite you onto the show is really because what we're talking about absolutely impacts the quality of care and the delivery of services for healthcare. And so, that's the connection just to quickly, you know, highlight it for our audience of quality people of healthcare leaders across the world. Um, so again, I just have to thank you for just jumping on the show and giving us the quick introduction. Um, I'll, I'll try to get back on script just a little bit here, but um, I did want to just go down that path a little bit and connect those dots with, with the general theme of what we usually talk about. Um, Pringle, let me move you to the next question here, um, because what I want to do now is um, introduce you to a question. It's very popular, but we do call it the dark place question, because I'd love if you could share with us your best moment of failure. Um, I'd love if you could just take us through that moment, you know, tell us a story, but most importantly, tell us the, the major lessons learned from that moment. Right. Well, I would say that there 
are a lot of lessons of failure. But um, when I thought about this question, it brought me to the failures of losing my job multiple times as a result of the factors that we just talked about. Um, and the internalization of, you know, what is it about me that failed that wasn't able to stay functional and successful, thriving in the workplace cultures that I've been working in? Um, and I think that as I think about it more, what I would say to others, you know, who might be suffering in the same circumstance of not really fitting in or being told they're not a good fit is that it's important to understand the culture. It's important to engage in, in proactive communication with people in your surroundings and leadership, your supervisors and, and so forth to try to make sure that um, everybody's being understood and that the things that one says and the things that one does is understood in the best light and that people aren't casting a bad light on the things that you bring to the table. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of not being um, given the benefit of the doubt. And so the messaging for me has been to really try to get into the communication in a way that things are not left up for, for faulty interpretation, but that the intentions are known um, and that it's a transparent communication reciprocally and that there's trust and respect reciprocally, but also to understand that not every environment is gonna be successful for every person and to be able to, um, again, getting back to the sort of self-determining um, idea that I said earlier, you know, it's important for people to realize that some environments are just not going to be supportive of your authentic self and that it's better to just to part ways amicably before it gets to a situation where um, it's not a good uh, separation. Well, and let me, let me explore that just a little bit because I've had my moments in my career where things have been said that have caught my ear one way. I mean, I I'm from South Miami, uh, Dr. Miller, and you know we are taught to respond a certain way under certain pressures. And I, I had to catch myself in the moment to just say, okay, and walk away and then come back and reflect on that moment. And to your point, understand that this is the place I need to be. And then when I made that separation, actually thanked a lot of the people who I had those conflicts with to say, hey, thank you for this. You helped me figure out this wasn't the right fit for me. Um, just curious to ask for yourself. I mean, how did you find yourself reflecting? And I, I'm asking that again for our audience, if they ever find themselves in any of these types of conversations or circumstances where it feels like they're getting dumped on in a very unjust way, how, any advice, just how do you take a pause in that moment and, and step back and just kind of, you know, reflect and, and handle it in the most professional way? Yeah, I mean, I think what you said is really important that you don't really want to go into conversations hot and you want to give yourself time to think about what really went down. And if you understand the uh, meaning of what, what, what went down, but then I think there's uh, room to circle back around and get clarity with respect to the interaction and with respect to the context and the culture of where you're working so that it's really clear to you whether the the cultural values that you're 
working in really align with your own values. And I think one of the things that I was naive about is thinking that every institutional culture was a culture that I would be comfortable in and one that I would want to be a part of. And, you know, sometimes we don't have a lot of leeway and whether we can come and go from places, you know, because most of us rely on a paycheck. There's other factors involved with location and family and so forth and so on. So it's not always as easy to um, cut your losses and, and go someplace else. But I think that um, the mindset of being stuck in a culture that isn't conducive to our own growth and development and thriving and that doesn't support who we are on the way that we want to um, practice um, is something that we have to be really intentional about and be willing to, to say, well, this just isn't working out because this isn't um, what I envisioned for how I was going to do my work. No, very fair. And I can say on my end, I was fortunate during those times to be just in a position, you know, between myself and my wife where I could walk away. Now it would be tougher. I have two young kids and, you know, especially pandemics and every other consideration going on in the world. Um, it would be tougher. But, you know, the big call out for our audience is when you find yourself in those tough positions. I mean, just think two steps ahead and, and try to take that moment to stop before you say the wrong thing that you know, surfaces any other stereotypes or any other biases that may already be against you. So that's, it's a tough spot. And unfortunately it's one of those spots we we're still trying to figure out. Um, but no, Pringle, thank you so much for that reflection. Um, I wanna dig us up out of the dark place, um, get to a more funner, productive conversation with you this evening. Um, I, I love if you could share with our audience um, a tip, a tool or a tactic that you found works really well for building up intimate connections with the teams that you've led. Uh, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? Well, I think it's pretty basic. I, I come to respect others and be kind. And um, I think that in my training uh, within the clinical specialties that I've practiced in, uh, listening is so important and not just sort of superficially listening, but listening, active listening is what we call it. Listening with the intention of really trying to understand what somebody is saying, um, not just the words, but the meaning. Um, and I found that to be incredibly helpful right now with the work that I'm doing with peers that are really suffering in their workplace injustices that, you know, as I said earlier, it's just, I think that the universe works in mysterious ways. And I found myself using so many of the communication skills that I learned in clinical medicine in this new work that I'm doing and respecting people, listening to people, trying to align with people on what is important to them and what, what makes you know, their life meaningful um, is, is super important because that's where you make the connection with people and that's how you can kind of move together as a, as a group, as a collective and PJE, Physician Just Equity, we call it PJE. Um, I think that I'm gratified by seeing people come together and solidarity with uh, a culture that we're cultivating within the organization. We just had our monthly meeting 
um, this afternoon and there were people who were reflecting on being very happy to be involved with the organization because of the culture that's being. Again, I'll, I'll one up your listening just a little bit because again, with the research that I've started doing on you and preparing for our conversation tonight, um, I will have to add storytelling. Um, I get the feeling on top of listening, you are just a serious storyteller and that's um, hopefully it's adding to some of the success, but just the, the few things I've seen, you've told stories that have just fully captured my attention personally. And so I, I don't know if that's intentional or not, Pringle, but just want to want to put that one on your on your under your belt as well as officially. Well, I appreciate you saying that because you know we are all stories, and um, I think the human connection really has to do with the intimacy of the things that we all experience and what we learn from what we experience. And you know, in PJE, we're very interested in. Uh, harnessing our collective wisdom, which comes from our individual stories and our experiences, to pay it forward to other people so that we can try to empower other people to maybe not make the same mistakes and to not have the same things happen to them in their careers that can really derail their trajectories in a negative way. Um, and so you're right. I mean, we we are a collection of stories in the collective of PJE and we're accumulating more stories from the peers that we support. And, and actually I'm glad you brought this up because those stories will in time be published, hopefully in various journals and otherwise so that other people can become more aware as we talked about earlier of what people are experiencing. Because right now I think it's just not really that known. Fair enough. Well, like I said, that that's, again, just another one of those things that caught my attention and, you know, gave me the courage at least to reach out and invite you on. So, um, so well done. Very well done. Um, let me move you to the next question where I would love if you could take us on one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. Um, but again, share with us uh, the moment. How did it come or, or strike you? And definitely, if you're able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And, and I know we were trying to take the conversation out of a more downer um, tone, but, um, and, but this is liberating also. So an aha moment that happened to me relatively recently was recognizing that when I made the transition from being active in clinical medicine and surgery to the foundation work that I'm doing now, um, I had a lightness about me and the aha moment came when I realized that suddenly I was not in an environment where I felt like people around me were just waiting for me to fail. And I think it kind of gets back to this idea of, you know, being an underrepresented person in a surgical space where the stereotype threat is so overwhelming that um, you know people don't expect you to be successful, and so therefore the con you know the, sort of the the opposite of that is that people expect you to fail. And so I was just functioning over the last twenty years in this state of a cloud over my head with a heavy weight just feeling like people were waiting for me to fail. And when I got out of that space to the degree that I was you know, in it full time and, and more so, 
to this space that I'm in now where people like you, you know, are approaching me and saying, I want to know more about you. I want to know more about the work that you're doing. I really appreciate that you're investing your time and energy into something that seems, you know, really important and meaningful. The, the aha moment was, you know, I don't have to feel like people are just waiting for me to fail anymore. I can seize the moment in this new space where people are giving me a platform, like you're giving me a platform on your podcast, you know, where people are asking me to speak because they want to hear what I have to say. So um, I'm very grateful that I've transitioned into a new place where I don't have to walk around with that cloud over my head anymore. And I just feel bad that it took so long to get to that aha moment. And I hope that other people um, realize that, you know, they need to be able to express their brilliance without feeling the gloom and the doom um, that many of us feel when we walk into the doors of our workplaces. And obviously, today, not everybody is work walking into a workplace because so many of us are still working remotely. But the metaphor is still, you know, has, has realistic meaning, which is that um, if you're not being allowed to shine and to thrive, there's something work wrong with your workplace environment. I can't even tell you how much that resonates with me personally. Um, Pringle, for the last years, I've been working to build up my own, my own business. Um, and only until recently just started to kind of catch my stride where I'm getting really clear with what I want to do, how I want to serve the industry, you know, my potential clients. But I was just talking with a physician friend of mine uh, a few days ago, who is also in the process of me. Hi. <sighs> I am so sorry. I think my entire internet just decided to reboot on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't sure whether I should get out and get back in or what to do. But I'm glad you're back. So that's good. Very perfect. Um, so I know I was in the middle of just this absolute thought about how your last message connected so well. Um, but really where I was going with uh, with my thought on that, Pringle, was just that the clarity, I think once we kind of get to a point where we find our path that that is really connecting, you know, the mind, body, soul kind of a mindset. Um, that's what I'm personally going through now. And it sounds like that's the journey you're going through. But to your other point was like, I wish I had done this sooner. I wish I found it sooner. But you almost have to go through everything you go through to see what you're finally able to see. So it's just this weird, you know, conundrum of the universe. But um, yeah, what you said just completely resonated with me. So wanted to to connect that dot or highlight that a little bit. Yeah, well, that's, that's perfect. Because I think, you know, that's what growth is about. And that's what timing is about. And like what comes now couldn't come now, if it weren't for what came before. And so, um, you know, I have had reflections recently about how intriguing it is in hindsight to think that this might have been my destiny all along, and I never really saw it, but I wouldn't have seen it. But it kind of makes total sense in a lot of ways that I couldn't do what I'm doing now if I hadn't done what I did before. And not that what I did before wasn't important. It just sort of wasn't the end game, even though I thought it was. 
was going to be interesting as as you and your team continue to mature and evolve to kind of see even what the next version of the end game starts to look like. But um, yeah, no, your your entire experience, I, I think I'm living my version of it now. Um, and again, I, I'm sure so many of our listeners are because even these past two years, I think have probably caused a lot of people just to reflect on whatever their paths are. So, so Pringle, let me move into this next question. And I love to ask, um, what are some of the current changes taking place across the healthcare industry that you're excited about right now? And what role do you see quality professionals and I'll even say physician leaders playing to promote or support us longevity? Well, what comes to mind for me is just a heightened awareness of health inequity and um, the need for health justice. Um, and I, I think that the COVID pandemic, as you alluded to, in terms of how it's really disrupted all of our lives has brought to bear some of the racial inequities that we've been experiencing within the healthcare delivery system. And so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that everything that we know up until now, including what we've been able to document as experiences and disparity amongst racial groups with regard to healthcare is something that leadership will become increasingly more focused on. And that's relevant, obviously, to my work, because there's a continuum between equity in the way physicians and surgeons are treated and the way patients are treated. Um, but I think we all know that we need to have more underrepresented clinicians caring for patients of all kinds, not to just have gender parity or racial parity. But I think we know that we need to have an increase in the number of underrepresented folks in medicine um, so that we can increase the quality of care for, for all people. Right. And I, I love and respect that reply. Um, again, just with some of the things I've gotten pulled into recently, um, here in the state of Georgia, I work with our ACHE chapter, our state chapter, which is one of the biggest in the country. And in a couple of weeks, we're doing a virtual event to introduce the entire state to our newly defined um, you know, mission, vision, and values around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, it's not the end all be all, but it's a start. And again, you know, I'm gonna have to stereotype this. This is the South, it's the state of Georgia, but we're putting flags in the ground for, for where we stand on diversity. And it's huge, it's getting really positive feedback so far, so. That's awesome, yeah. Perfect. And let me jump on this one too, just very similar, but how can the healthcare industry itself become a more attractive place for ambitious, again, not just quality professionals, which is a huge focus with our show, um, but even if it extends into administrative leaders or physician leaders, um, but to get them to come in and start and grow their careers and hopefully stay longer than six years, like you shared earlier. <laughs> well, I mean, it gets back to inclusivity and um, being able to appreciate individuals for their individuality. And I think that corporate medicine has taken the art of medicine to a place that is very distasteful for a lot of humanitarian type clinicians. Um, I think that the fact that burnout is off out, you know, off out of the roof, off the roof um, is indicative of the fact that clinicians of all kinds are feeling undervalued and depersonalized and 
being treated as widgets, you know, just crossing off the box of who needs to take call, who needs to staff a clinic. Um, and these are the sorts of things that we need to pay serious attention to, to maintain health and wellness within the clinician workforce um, and to have people want to be there. Um, I, I think, you know, it's not insignificant that the way that clinicians are treated, and I mean, when I say clinicians, I'm, I'm talking about physicians and surgeons, even though that term, um, other non-doctor uh, clinicians, but um, the way that the, the, the benefit burden ratio right now is skewed in such a way that the return on the investment is fading. And I'm not even just talking about when you're being mistreated. I'm just talking about baseline um, devaluation because you're no longer thought of as a professional, but you're thought of as someone who's just going to rack up billing codes for reimbursements to keep the clinic or the hospital solvent. And, and that kind of mentality is leading to our profession's de demise. All right. And, you know, that one again, I think is going to hit very close to home with the audience of, you know, professionals that do plug into this show because we are a part of, you know, the groups that are setting productivity standards and financial analysis and so forth. But humanizing is, is not that it's not important, but we have to do it in a way that respects all disciplines so that everybody feels the value of what they're contributing. So um, I think that's going to carry very far. Um, Ringo, I love to, I know we're going to run short on time, but I love to just jump on maybe two or three of these rapid fire questions to close us out. Um, so this is what I like to call our two minute drill, kind of a, a throwback to my old football days. Um, but are you, are you ready to, to rock and roll? I hope I can keep pace with you. I'll try. All right, Pringle, this next question is something of a two-parter where I love for you to first tell our quality people something about your current role that inspires you to do your best, then also share with us, how do you inspire others within your organization? Well, my current role as Executive Director of Physician Just Equity inspires me to do my best because it's really important that I lead by example. And so I think about leadership qualities that I would like to see in a leader um, that I would respect, admire, and want to follow. So I think, you know, being somebody that other people are looking up to as a leader and somebody who is trying to organize within a group um, that is considered a foundation that's worth being involved with is uh, a high honor. And I take it very seriously. And what was the second part of the question? Um, how do you inspire others within your organization? Well, I think it relates to the same thing, which is to inspire through passion and um, trying to bring about change. I think, you know, the, the motivation that I have to bring about change is something that's very aligned with everybody else in the organization. And I'm genuine about that. And I bring my authentic, complete self to that. And I hope that that inspires other people. All right, fantastic. And our last question um, that I'll move you into this, this is a heads up because it's a personal favorite where I love to get you to reflect on your past while you also look forward to your future. 
So let's say that you're able to send yourself one text message um, 10 years into the past, but also one text message to yourself 10 years into the future. Take a few seconds and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? So the past one I think would have to do with, um, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game um, and to enjoy the journey um, as much as just the pivotal moments. Um, and the future one would have to do with messaging myself that all of the challenges uh, that I've been able to overcome and survive were worth it for the opportunity to grow and develop and, and change. And I hope, you know, a more positive, um, productive way. No, I love both of those messages. Um, you know, the first definitely connects to my sports background. Um, but even your second message, Pringle, um, I, again, I, I see so many providers, so many healthcare leaders um, are going to be bragging about you years from now because they're going to be standing on your shoulders and the work that you're leading, you know, with your team through PJE. Um, so, Pringle, I, I just want to say thank you for that. Um, I love to end today with you just giving our quality people that parting piece of advice, please, you know, share uh, the best way that our folks can follow or connect with you online or through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Well, thank you, Jarvis, again, for this very special opportunity to talk with you and um, for your confidence in me to, to want to have me be a guest on your podcast. It's, it's an honor. Um, I think what I would impart to the listeners is that we would be delighted for people to reach out to us at our website, which is physicianjustequity.org. We would also be delighted to be followed on Twitter at, at, at Equity Docs. Um, people can contact me through the Contact Us page on the website and or through Twitter, which is my primary social media platform, but I'm also on LinkedIn um, by my name, which we will publish. Um, and we are really looking for allies here. We're really looking to expand our network of peer supporters and researchers and people who want to educate the public and the healthcare community of how to make our work environments more inclusive, more diverse, and more equitable. So this is an all-hands-on-deck type of endeavor, and um, we would really enjoy having people contact us as a result of listening to your podcast. All right, fantastic. Well, we'll we'll get all of those links um, published along with the show notes for this. So for all of our listeners, please uh, just go scroll over to the show notes and you'll see all of those respectable links. Um, you know, Dr. Uh, Miller, again, I can't thank you enough. Um, even with our little technicalities tonight, um, I appreciate everything and just all of the insight and, and focus of vision you share with our audience. Um, to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Dr. Pringle Miller, and we are officially signing off. Take care. Thank you. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, 
access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.